Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Powered by Superbook Sports, we pop on out to the KDOS hotline to have an NBA and NBA playoffs conversation. Zach Cram with The Ringer is joining us. Zach, it's Kayla and Bob. How are you doing today? All right. How are you? We're doing fantastic here. Plenty to get into into with you, Zach, around the NBA playoffs with teams advancing, teams playing it out in the first round. But I have to start with the Bucks and the Heat. Jimmy Butler, a 42-point performance last night, including the game-tying bucket with seconds remaining. The Heat lost Tyler Hero in this series, Victor Oladipo, and yet Jimmy Butler turned into Jimmy Buckets, ousting the top-seeded team in the East. So how much of this is Jimmy Butler just going off? How much of this is also injuries to the Bucks? And how much of it is some questionable in-game coaching by Bucks head coach Mike Budenholzer? I think this game ended, what, 12, 13 hours ago, and I'm still reeling. Not because the Bucks lost the series necessarily. Miami was favored once it was 3-1, to one, but because of how it happened, just Game 5 serving as a microcosm of everything that has gone wrong for the Bucks during their playoff defeats over the last few years, whether it was Giannis missing free throws at the wrong times or the half-court offense devolving or just a lack of adjustments to guard on defense. But I think this has to start with Miami. Uh, Jimmy Butler was obviously incredible in both Game 4 and Game 5 as he adds to his playoff legend. And also just the way Miami shot for the series, the Heat were not a good team in the regular season, and that was because of their offense. They ranked 27th in three-point percentage, and their best three-point shooter was Tyler Hero. So you would think they would be even worse in the playoffs, and yet as a team, they were at 45% from three for the series. That's basically an entire team turning into peak Steph Curry. And from that perspective, like, yeah, Miami's going to advance if it makes half its three-pointers. Seems like the Bucs, you know, obviously they won a championship a couple years ago when they beat the Suns, but every year they get eliminated, whenever that might be, we're questioning defensive strategy. Do they need to just change what they're doing there defensively? It's kind of odd. I do wonder how much Giannis Antetokounmpo's health played a role in the fact that, as he said after the game last night, he wished he had guarded Jimmy Butler more, but he obviously wasn't put on him very much. Miami beat the Bucks in the 2020 bubble, and then they did adjust in 2021. They played Miami in the first round, and they won pretty easily. It was a sweep, and Giannis guarded Butler for a lot of that series. So it almost seems like it's less about making adjustments and just making adjustments way too slowly. There was also that issue when Giannis didn't guard Kawhi in 2019 uh, when Toronto eliminated the Bucks from the conference finals. So I think you're right that adjustments need to be made, but it, it's almost about doing those adjustments quicker, not waiting until you fall down three games to one or even get eliminated entirely and have to do it the next year. It's okay. We're down at halftime. We need to make this adjustment right now. And they just seem a little too rigid a little too inflexible to be able to make those changes on the fly. Another one for you on the Bucks here. What decisions have to be made in the offseason? You traded for Jay Crowder at the deadline, and that really didn't work out. Uh, you're paying top dollar for Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. There's still uh, you know, some questions there about who's coming back, right? Yeah, so Brooke Lopez is a free agent, and he's obviously a huge part of that team. He was second in Defensive Player of the Year voting this year and really provided offensive support as well as we saw over these last few games against Miami. Chris Middleton also has a $40 million player option. So my best guess is they'll just bring both of those two guys back. 
run it back with the same core with Giannis, Holiday, Middleton, and Lopez and have to figure out what to do with the rest of the rotation. Because that was one of the downfalls this year. The Jay Crowder trade, as you mentioned, did not work out. Last year, they traded for Serge Ibaka, who basically was a non-factor in the playoffs. So some of their swings outside the core four have really been a mistake, and they don't have the draft capital to make it up with young guys. They are a team that's almost entirely of veterans. Giannis, incidentally, is one of the youngest rotation players on this team because they've traded all their picks. And that worked out, right? They got through Holiday, who won him a title, but they're still out picks for the next four years. They have very little uh, in the way of you know draft cap- capital to trade for veterans right now. And also with the new CBA that's coming into effect, I don't think this has been totally grasped yet, but it makes it harder for teams in the Bucks situation over the luxury tax to be able to add players at the margins. So they're really going to be up against it in terms of rounding out the group around this top four. The Suns and Nuggets uh, begin their uh, Western Conference semifinal on Saturday night. These two teams play completely differently. How do you see that series going? It's funny you say that. They play completely differently, but almost get to the same place where both teams are just incredible offensively and have what I assume is going to be a lot of difficulty guarding the other. I think we've seen that a bit with Sacramento versus Golden State in the first round, where it seems like every game is going into the 120s. And I could see that happening with Denver versus Phoenix as well, because if you look at even what happened with Phoenix in their first round series, they scored like bonkers, but they also had trouble slowing down, even though Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were out. So I could see a lot of really high-scoring games and just questions of, okay, Aaron Gordon and Contavious Caldwell-Pope are very good defensive players. Are they up to the task of guarding Devin Booker and Kevin Durant for 40 minutes tonight? And on the other end, is DeAndre Ayton up to guarding Nicole Jokic, who guards Jamal Murray, who takes Michael Porter Jr. after Kawhi Leonard shredded uh, the Suns' wing defenders for a couple games before he got hurt? So I think there are just a lot of questions about, can either team actually stop the other one? Zach Cram from The Ringer right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. Along those lines, put you in the the coaching situation. Uh, How do you see them trying to attack Jokic because of some of those other uh, perimeter options that the Nuggets do have? What decisions will the Suns have to make on the defensive end, and what do you think would work best? So I think that they'll probably start with just DeAndre Ayton guards Jokic and see if he can hold up without having to send too many double teams because that's when Denver really gets you in trouble. If you have to guard Jokic with more than one player, he's probably the best passing big man of all time, so he'll just shred you finding open three-point shooters around the perimeter. The Nuggets, starting five this year, scored like one of the best units in the league, specifically because of that ability. I also think that Phoenix's lack of depth could hurt them here. We saw in the first round how many minutes that Booker and Durant specifically had to play, and... It was good that they only needed five games to win, but Denver also only needed five games to win, and their stars have a lot less uh, you know, tread on their tires right now. So I could see that becoming a factor, especially in Denver's altitude, especially as we get into the back half of the series when it's just game, uh, game day off, game day off. There aren't two breaks in this series after games two to three. So I think that could be a factor as well if it goes long. I think the Suns' best chance, or maybe you disagree with this if you'd like, no problem, but uh, I think the Suns' best chance of, quote, slowing down Jokic is just put him in screen rolls, and the Suns are great at that, including, surprisingly, at least to me, you know, Durant and Ayton have an amazing rapport in screen roll situations. So, you know, just put Jokic in screen rolls and, you know, run them all over the floor defensively. 
Yeah, that's true. You might not be able to slow Jokic down, but you could get as many points back on the other end. And I think what makes Phoenix such a fascinating playoff team is the modern NBA is all about three-pointers and layups, right? But Phoenix, in its first-round series against the Clippers, took more than half of its shots for mid-range. They ranked at the bottom of the league or at the bottom of the first-round teams in shots at the rim and the bottom of the first-round teams in shots from the three-point line. But their offense was still incredible because they have Durant and Booker and Chris Paul, who are three of the best mid-range shooters in the league, if not the three best mid-range shooters in the league. So when modern defenses are primed to say, go take those mid-range shots, those aren't high-efficient looks. Well, for the Suns, they actually are. And that's how it's a few years ago. Granted, that was a different Denver team. They were marred by injuries. But I think that same strategy makes me wonder, does Denver have any adjustments? Because if you look at what happened a couple years ago when Jokic dropped on defense, he just let you know Chris Paul and Devin Booker walk into mid-range shots that were open, and those are going to go in. Add Kevin Durant to that mix, and that's an extra player who can make that happen as well. Zach Cram from The Ringer right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. I'm going to toss this over to the Eastern Conference. We have uh, the Knicks eliminating the Cavs. Jalen Brunson, 23 points. R.J. Barrett found his offensive game with 21 points in the elimination contest. Should we have seen this coming from the Knicks? I think they were a very regular, a very good regular season team. I think the offense in particular was surprising. They were a top five offensive unit all year long, which is not what we expect from a Tom Thibodeau group, but combine that offense with their ability to buckle down defensively once Mitchell Robinson came back and once they traded for Josh Hart. And I think they're just a legitimately very good two-way team. I was still surprised that they only needed five games to dispatch the Cavaliers. I thought that series was destined to go seven, so they proved me wrong there. But I think this team just has a really solid core with Brunson and Hart and Robinson, just a lot of good two-way players who do the little things right. And especially with Milwaukee going down now, they have a potentially easy path to the conference finals. So I'm sure, you know, you saw the videos of Madison Square Garden and how excited those Knicks fans are. But this is the best Knicks team in the 21st century, I think. And it might not even be that close. I want to go back to the West. Warriors and Kings, I think it's been the most fun series so far. The Draymond Green scoring bonanza last night. I know that was certainly surprising. The Kings, they lose at home. Now they have to go back to San Francisco and play the Warriors. Is this series over, so to speak? I don't think it's over. I think all it takes is, you know, one hot shooting night from Sacramento to send it back to Game 7. And we're kind of waiting for that. Sacramento, as a team, was really good on three-pointers this season. But they've disappeared in the playoffs, particularly looking at someone like Kevin Herter who is one of the best shooters in the league this season and hasn't found a stroke yet in the playoffs. But even in games three and four, when Golden State was at home, where they're so good this year, when they have the playoff experience at an advantage, in game four, Harrison Barnes was one shot away from clinching that for Sacramento. So I think it's premature to say it's over entirely, but is Golden State favored now? Of course. Zach Cram from The Ringer right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. The Grizzlies took care of business at home last night, topping the Lakers 116-99. to Anthony Davis, he did bounce back, and he went off for 31 points and 19 rebounds. LeBron struggled 15 points. Now that we're sitting here uh, with some momentum back for the Grizzlies, but coming back to L.A., can the Lakers fend off this Grizzlies team from making a comeback? I think the key for the Lakers right now is their perimeter defense. They were shredded by Desmond Bain and John Morant last night. And obviously Morant is going to give anyone trouble, but when both of those guys are on the court and specifically sharing with Luke Kennard, 
Memphis is really hard to beat because they have Morant with the ability to drive and then Bain and Kennard the ability to space the floor. The, the game was really close up until late in the third quarter yesterday, and then they put in Luke Kennard for Dylan Brooks, who the Lakers are happy to leave wide, wide, wide open, and all of a sudden Memphis went on like a 19-1 to run. So Kennard left the game early. Uh, it seems he had a, a shoulder bump. I, I think his absence, even though he's a bench player, would be really bad for Memphis if he can't go in game six. So that's the key that I'm looking for over the next 24 hours. Can Kennard come back and, and you know return from his shoulder injury? Because if he does, then he gives Memphis the offensive firepower they need to keep up with L.A. Uh, in Los Angeles. But if Kennard can't go, I don't know if Memphis has the perimeter weapons to make L.A. pay. I'm totally with you on that Canard thing. I actually mentioned that earlier uh, this morning. So, you know, kind of an overlooked thing that happened in that game last night, but not to us because we're smart people. <laughs> All right, one other, one quick thing for tonight. I mean, the Celtics and the Hawks, you know, how surprised are you that there's actually a game six? And is uh, the Celtics losing the last two, three, two of the last three games reason for concern or no big deal? See, if I hadn't watched the Heat come back against the Bucks last night, I would have said the Celtics lost the other night was the most alarming of the playoffs so far. Now, obviously, what the Bucks did is worse now in retrospect. But yeah, that was alarming. I think the bigger, like the bigger picture concern, more than just one game where Trey Young hits a thirty-footer to win, is what that says about the Celtics' rotation decisions and their coaching strategy. Because Derek White, I think, has been their third best player this season. You have Tatum and Brown, who are both going All NBA teams. But I think White has ascended the pecking order. He played better than Marcus Smart this year, even though Smart is the reigning defensive player of the year winner. He played better than any of the Celtics big men. And yet, down the stretch in Game 5, the Celtics put Smart back in, sent White to the bench, and played with two big men. I don't think that's the strategy Boston needs if it's going to go far in the playoffs. Especially with Milwaukee out, I would still say the Celtics are my championship favorites at this point. I just think they have the best 2A team, and they have you know, home court advantage for the rest of the playoffs now, but they need to get it done tonight because you don't want to go to a game seven where all of a sudden one fluky shooting night sends you home. They need to get it done right now. Zach, this has been fantastic. Look forward to doing it again as the playoffs continue on. Thank you. Thanks so much. Have a great afternoon. You as well. Once again, he is Zach Cram with the ringer.